Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for just your presence and being with us and for how truly awesome and amazing you are. Um, You are good, God. You are good. We are here. We are talking about prayer, and the series is called It's Time to Pray. And I know we've been going through different struggles we have with prayer. Maybe you could resonate with some of those comments or questions on the slides from the opening video um, what is prayer? How, what if I'm doing it wrong? How do we pray? What does that look like in our lives? And our hope during this series is that if nothing else, all of us would be encouraged to pray more, to practice prayer, to, um, to learn to draw closer to God's heart, and as we talked about last week, to recognize that he is there and he longs for our relationship with all of us. And so I admit today we're talking about a subject that was actually a little bit of a challenge for me. We're talking about bold prayers. And I sat with God a lot this week and said, okay, God, what, what do bold prayers look like? Because I don't want to lead people in the wrong direction. I think maybe we can end up with two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum on this idea of bold prayers. For some of us, it might be like, we think, oh, if I just pray, if I pray boldly, if I pray powerfully, if I pray and declare what I want, then God's just going to give me whatever I want, Right? On the other end, we might have people that sit and then fear and like, I don't want to ask God for the wrong thing because I might pray the wrong way and what if it's not his will and so I'm just not going to ask. And I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to make sure I'm leading people in the right direction. So that is my prayer today. But I want to, I want to start with this idea. When we talk about bold prayer, there might be some of you who think, well, I could never pray boldly. But I was talking to my dad this week and he said something that I thought was very profound, that, that in some ways, all prayer is bold prayer. In some ways, all prayer is bold prayer because if we're honest, it's a little audacious for us to get to the place where we can believe that the God of the universe, the God who made us, wants us to connect with him, wants us to come to him and pray. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, So that is bold, right? And even when you just pray, God, I'm here. God, are you there? God, help me. Those are all in some ways bold prayers because we're acknowledging who God is and we're acknowledging that he wants us to come to him. But second, I would say this, just as we start off this, ser- this message, that bold prayer is not primarily about getting what we want from God. It is not primarily about getting what we want from God, and it is certainly not about doing something in the right formula to earn something from God or earn God's favor. I was thinking about Halloween coming up this week, and I don't know how many of you either came to trunk or treat yesterday or are, are planning on doing trick-or-treating at all in some way. Um... I was thinking about Halloween. It feels a little crazy to me, like the, the, the kind of the concept of just going around door to door and asking for candy from people. Um, I actually read an article this week that was saying Halloween is one of those few things that kids are kids um, to do in-person interaction again. Like, we have to get physical candy. We're not doing digital version of it. Um, I thought that was interesting. But if I'm honest, like there are people's houses in my neighborhood that I've never been to except for Halloween. And, you know, if, if I were to go to many of these houses in, you know, on another day in a mask and stand at their door, I might get a different response, right? 
But on Halloween, for one night, we know we can go boldly to all these doors. Why? Because we have a formula. We, we know we go on October 31st. We know we go when it's after dark, and we should be wearing a costume, and we say the right words, right? We say trick or treat. That's the formula. And I say this to say this. I, I think when we approach God, I want to be careful that we don't approach it as though it's a formula. Um, I encourage you to look up resources on, on praying. In fact, um, Tom and I are only going to, and, and Sherry and Roger even, are only going to just barely touch all of the ways we could talk and learn about prayer. Um, I, w- I went to a prayer boot camp once, and it was amazing. There's like all these things I learned. There's many resources, but I would be careful anytime you read something that says, hey, if you pray these words in this way, at this time, God's going to do this. We need to be careful that we don't treat prayer like a formula or turn God into a glorified genie. That's not who God is. And in fact, the other problem with that is that it creates doubt and discouragement, doesn't it? I think there's a lot of people who have actually been wounded over the years because they've been told, well, if you just prayed harder, if you just prayed with more faith, if you just did this thing, God would listen. And I'm sorry you're not healed, but maybe you're doing something wrong. And people begin to believe that maybe there's something wrong with them, that maybe if they could pray better, if they could pray harder, if they had more faith, if they weren't so screwed up, Maybe you've had those moments in your life. Um, I've, I've even had this, guys. I've, I've prayed like people to ask God to take away the diabetes that I have. And I had somebody once pray like in a very commanding voice for diabetes to leave me and it has not left me. And I've wrestled with God with that. But I think God has brought me to a place of peace of knowing it's not because I'm doing something wrong. It's not because I'm, I'm not praying the right way. And as we're going to go through today, we're going to learn a little bit about um, how we defer to God even when we don't get that answer that we may want. But we have to remember that prayer is not a formula. And that we may be tempted to look through the Bible and try to find that formula, but I'm going to just dispel that myth right now. I'm going to go through a few brief examples of people who prayed boldly in the Bible. And it's very hard to find a, a pattern here, guys, okay? Um, 2 Kings 20 verse 1, the king Hezekiah. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. But Hezekiah was a king who got sick, and God sent a prophet to tell him he's going to die. Well, Hezekiah didn't like this, so he prayed and he wept. And God says, I've heard your prayers, I've seen your tears, and I will heal you. So God heals Hezekiah. Second example, this is James and John, disciples of Jesus. So they are talking literally to Jesus. And if ever you'd think someone would listen to your prayer, it's the people who are physically talking to Jesus. But here's what they asked Jesus. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's bold, right? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they reply, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. Like when you get into heaven, it's kind of like asking for eternal shotgun. Like, I want, I want the best spots in eternity in heaven with you. And Jesus says, first of all, you don't know what you're asking. And second of all, that's not mine to grant, basically. So God does not give them what they ask for, even though it's a very bold prayer. 2 Samuel 12, 16, we hear about David, King David. Now you know the story probably of him and Bathsheba and and adultery. And maybe what you don't know is that they had a baby as a result of that. Um, And this baby, part of as as, um, a result of, of the sin, this baby was dying. And so David prays fervently to God. In fact, he fasted. He spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. But on the seventh day, the child still died. And so we see, God, why didn't you answer this prayer of David, of the, of the man who lived after your own heart? But he didn't get the prayer answer, answered. We talked a couple weeks ago about um, Hannah. Hannah comes in 1 Samuel 1, 27, and she prays boldly for a child, right? And she, she, uh, she says, I'll give him back to you. I'll, do, I'll, I'll give him to you to serve. And God does answer, right? Right? 
And she says, I prayed for this child and God granted me what I asked for. A couple more quick examples. James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah, it talks about Elijah who was a prophet and it says even though he was a human being just like we are, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced crops. There was a bold prayer. And you might think, well, that was, that was Elijah. He was a man of God. He was this, you know, really spiritual guy. So, of course, God answered him. But if we jump to my last example here, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, talks about Paul. Paul was this amazing apostle who wrote much of the New Testament. And he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, he was given this thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment him. And three times he pleaded with God to take that away. And God did not. Instead, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So why do I bring these all up? I bring these up because there, there are so many different examples we can look at of people in the Bible who came to God boldly, who prayed boldly to God, and God kind of answered in different ways in different times. And so I want us to say, if, if we can't find a formula for prayer, then how can we learn to come and pray boldly? Does it matter if we pray boldly? How can we incorporate that into our lives? And I would say, I, I, think God's, I think prayer does matter, bold prayer does matter, and God wants us to come and ask him for things. And I want to look, maybe as we go, as we leave today, it's going to be less about how we pray bold prayers to get what we want, and more about just learning about a posture of prayer before God. And I actually want to go back through the Lord's Prayer a little bit that Tom talked about a couple weeks ago, and use this as kind of a launching point or a lens through which we can view bold prayer. So we're going to start in the very beginning. Um, the, the Lord's Prayer teaches us, first of all, to come to our Father who is in heaven, right? Our Father who is in heaven. I think it's no accident that we sing so many songs today about God as a good Father and we as his children. Because I believe that part of bold prayer really is an identity issue. I think God's been kind of putting this in my head over and over again. It's an identity issue because we have access to Christ, we, or through Christ, we have access to God as his children. And first of all, this affects our prayer because when we come to God, we believe that he is who he says he is. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. As we focus on God, my friend Sherry says, we begin to even use scripture and declare who God is. We begin to pray this bold prayer affirming who he is. Not, it's not so much like we're saying, God, you said you're good, so can you please be good? It's not, it's not like we're reminding him to be who he says he is. It's more, as Sherry said, that we are affirming and anchoring ourselves in the truth of who God is. Because when we begin to live and pray in light of who God is, it's going to change the way we come to him. It's going to change the way we pray. If you want to practice this, there's a song um, we sing sometimes by David Crowder, I think, Here's My Heart, Lord. And it just talks over and over. It says, it says here's my heart, God. Speak what is true. And then it affirms, God, you are good. You are true. You endure. You are, you are life. And I would encourage you just to listen to, to verses, to songs that affirm God's character and his goodness and begin to pray those things out loud over your life. And this is where, again, getting to know God is so important. As we begin to walk with God, you're going you're gonna to hear verses about God and who he is, but as you begin to experience God and you begin to um, have revelation of who he is, I would just encourage you to keep track Write down the, the good things that God has done for you. And even when you're struggling to pray or when you're asking God for things, go back to those things. Say, God, 
I, I know I, I defer to you. I know that this may not, you may not answer exactly the way I want, but I want to affirm your goodness to me and your faithfulness to me all my life. And this delights God. I'm going to refer a few times today to an author named Mark Batterson. Many of you maybe have heard of him. He pastors a church in D.C. Uh, Mark Batterson says this, First of all, the size of our prayer depends on the size of our God. And if God knows no limits, then neither should our prayers. And again, he reminds us that truly the reason we pray big and bold prayers is not because of who we are, but because of the big God that we serve. Sometimes we pray safe prayers, don't we? I've, I've been a little convicted of this. We start to pray or think in terms of what's humanly possible. In fact, how many of us pray to God with kind of a backup plan in mind? We ask for God for something that we feel like we can probably fudge our way out of if we have to. I laugh even like I've been praying recently or asking God to help with whether it's maybe a fundraising goal. And I'm like, okay, well, if we don't make our fundraising goal, I could probably cover like this part of the, you know, what we don't cover, what we don't get. And that's fine. It's good to be generous. But sometimes I think God is realizing that in my heart, it's because I'm not believing that he's big enough to handle it. And so I believe God is inviting us to trust who he is and to pray bigger prayers and acknowledge that he is the, the one who owns everything. All earth belongs to him. He has the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Bold prayer acknowledges what's true all along, that we need God, and it invites us into this bigger dream with God, not because of who we are, but because of his sovereignty, power, and creativity. In fact, Tom talked a couple weeks ago about how we... Um, we kind of have this culture that's geared towards me and geared towards entitlement. And one thing I've noticed, too, is that um, in our culture, a sign of success is that we get to the place where we don't need other people, right? We can be independent, we can live isolated, and we don't have to ask other people for anything. We don't have to rely on other people. And the, I believe that prayer is bold because it dismantles this lie, God says, in my kingdom, you do need each other. I've made you to be a body that does belong to one another. You do need each other, and you do need me. And so prayer is bold because it acknowledges our need for God. And even though we come into God's presence with awe and recognizing who he is, God also invites us to come rooted in our identity as loved children. Right? We come to God asking him boldly because we're his kids. Um, Jesus expands on how to pray. We read the Lord's Prayer, but later in that same chapter, in uh, verse 11 through 13, he says, "List which of your fathers, which of you, oh, sorry, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And he says, even though you fathers may be evil, in other words, you may be broken, you may be, you may be imperfect, but even though you are those things, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so he's saying, um, if, if we're looking at God as, as the perfect version of what the best possible father could be, uh, we can come to God knowing that we're his kids and he wants us to talk to him. We are dearly loved children. But I believe God wants us to ask I have um, several children with different personalities, and I've noticed that some of my kids will come to me over and over and over again, and I'm like, good God, please stop asking me for that. I've told you no, right? But what actually makes me sad is I have one kid that occasionally just won't ask for something because they're afraid that I'll say no. They're afraid right from the beginning, oh, mom, we might not have enough money for this, or, or well, we've, mom said yes to a lot of things, so maybe she won't say yes to this. And it makes me sad because, to be honest, 
One thing I love about my kids coming and asking me for things is that it gives me a window into their heart. It gives me a window into their world. It gives me a window into kind of what they want, what their, what their hopes are, what their desires are, what their friends are doing. Like, and so it, it's relational. When my kid asks me for something, even when I have to say no, it gives me an opportunity to, to talk to them. It gives me an opportunity um, just to hear from them, and I love that. And I believe our Father is the same way. Ephesians 6, 18 tells us he wants us to come to him with all kinds of requests um, on all occasions, right? We can come to God with whatever. There's nothing too big or too small to bring to our Father. Luke 11, 9 through 10 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for to you. Even when we don't receive what we ask for, we all, prayer is always a relational opportunity. It's always an opportunity for us to, to feel God's presence in our life and to know that he cares about what we have to say. God says, don't be afraid to ask me. Just leave room for me to respond in my way, in my time. Which leads me to my second point from the Lord's Prayer. We pray our Father in heaven, and then we pray, holy or hallowed be your name. And this, I think, is another really important posture for us. When we come to God, even when we pray boldly, we always defer to the fact that God, his ways are bigger and higher than our ways. What he knows, he knows way more than we know. We might be asking for something with this limited perspective. And God says, I have the full picture. I know the full plan. Pray to me as holy and revered and set apart. In, in, uh, in humility, we come to him. Um, we might pray again. You look at the Psalms. Man, if you, if you read through the Psalms, David would often pray for like vindication. And it would look violent sometimes. And you're like, David, I don't think you should be asking God for that. Right? But David would also frequently refer to God as the righteous judge. And ultimately, he would lay that request, what he wanted, he would lay it at God's feet and say, here's what I want, but I'm deferring to you as the good God. We pray boldly, but we always leave room for God to change our prayers and change our hearts before he changes our circumstances. We can trust his identity and his holiness even if what we ask for is not changed that is what I think the, pic the picture of confident de deference is, is coming to God and saying, I'm asking you boldly for this because I believe you're good, because I believe I'm your kid. But even if you don't answer, it doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change what I believe about you. I think we see a perfect example of this in Daniel 3, 18, um, or 17 and 18. This was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And right before, they, they, um, they were told to bow down before this idol, and they refused to do it. They refused to put anything else above God. And they say to God, or they say to the king who's going to throw them in the furnace, listen, God, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. They're confidently saying that. But verse 18 says, even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. And I think we need to be careful that, again, that we don't turn the thing that we're asking God for into an idol, that we don't turn um, uh, the answer from God into something that is bigger than who God is. I think we have to be careful because, um, well, well, I'll get back to that a little more later, actually. I'm getting ahead of myself. But bold prayers, bold prayers invite us to humbly come to God and say, I want to follow you. I want your will to be done. Um, and this actually leads right into our next point. We say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And I want us to realize that 
in this world we live in, and when we pray to God, he wants to invite us, bold prayers are going to invite us to operate in his kingdom. And if we're honest, when we begin to ask God for his will and his heart, it's going to rub up against the things that are our desires and our selfishness, and we're going to find that in our, in our bold prayers, we're going to have to lay down our wants before him. Sometimes we have to give God our perspective because we've been caught up in the rules and the ways of this world. James 4, 2-3 says, um, he's speaking to, uh, to a group of people and he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Uh, there's an author, Scott McKnight, who wrote a commentary on James and he says this, uh, these people, their capital spent in prayer was in the realm of their cravings, pleasures, desires, zeal, and ambition. This is the world they inhabited. This was the world they sought to increase. This was the world that shaped their every thought and prayer. What is shaping our prayers? Is it possible that we're asking for things like authority or political change or financial gain or other things partly because we're playing and praying by the world's rules? or to increase our own power or pleasure? And if so, God wants to reshape our prayers by renewing our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, and then you will know what God's will is. Then you will know what his will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're asking God to reorient our minds to his kingdom, to his will, where there's no, there's no power struggle in, in the kingdom of God. Everyone is willingly laying down their lives for others. It's costly. And so God's going to invite us to participate in that process. And he's going to invite us to, to deeper into his plan for us. In fact, we may be praying, God, you do this, you do this, you do this. And God may say, yeah, but I want you to join me. I want you to join me in that. And as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we may, we'll begin, God will begin to shift our hearts so that we will surrender our lives to him even when it's costly. Maybe one of the most beautiful but painful examples of this is Jesus, his own bold prayer before the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 39, and this is right before he's captured, um, arrested and taken away for trial before he goes to the cross, he says, with his face to the ground, he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And even Jesus, this bold, honest prayer, he says, this is painful. God, I don't want to, part of, part of Jesus knew he didn't want to have to go through this suffering. But even as he prays that, he, he defers to God and says, but your will be done. And sometimes when God doesn't give us directly what we ask, he's going to give us the strength to walk through it. He's going to give us the people and the resources that we need to, to, to go through those things that are very difficult, the trials that we do not want to go through. For myself, I've begun to, to pray this over my life. Uh, Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. Those things may fail, but God is my portion forever. He's my strength. And so uh, may, we, may we get to that place that as we pray boldly, we also recognize that if nothing else, God is, God is the answer. He is who we need. He is the strength of our hearts. And so we also pray God teaches us, or Jesus teaches us, that when we come to him and we come, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He also says that it's okay for us to come to him with our needs, both physical and spiritual needs. 
And I'm just going to touch on this briefly, but um, when it comes to, to physical needs, I think actually of the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus, Jesus broke bread and, and fish and he gave it to all these people. And the disciples are looking around at this crowd around Jesus and they're like, these people need food and shelter and we don't have that, so we need to send them away. And this is, the people aren't even asking God for this yet. But I, I love that Jesus prays and his prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. He thanks God for the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven, he, he gives thanks and he breaks these, all these fish and loaves of bread. I think sometimes when we come God, to God boldly asking him, um, we, it's also it's appropriate to come with gratitude. It's appropriate to say, God, I'm thanking you um, for, for your provision here, for what you're going to do. Notice again that he draws the disciples into this story, right? Into the kingdom work. Because he's doing something. God is going to do the work. He's going to provide the fish and the loaves for the people. But he tells the disciples, you give them something to eat. And again, I think God looks at each one of us and says, as you pray to me, as you ask me to boldly do something, I'm going to draw you into the story. I'm going to invite you to be part of the miracle. I'm going to invite you to step out of your comfort zone. I love, again, Mark Batterson's quote here. He says, the greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. And they intersect when we draw a circle around impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. That's a beautiful thing to think about, right? Human, um, uh, human um, um, oh my gosh, human impotence and divine omnipotence. And he's like, at that intersection, that's this, that's this beautiful place where we can begin to see God working. So we can ask, it's, it's okay to ask. There's nothing too small or off limits. If we come to God and we ask God for food, for, for help with what we need, God delights in that and God wants us to ask that. And he also wants us to be people who recognize that we may be the answer at times for other people's needs. And so he may put on our hearts something that he wants us to do for others. And finally, the Lord mentions protection against the enemy. And I think this is very important because God makes it clear in Scripture that our battle is not primarily against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities in, in the spiritual realms. Um, God says, when we follow God, we are going to face battles, we're going to face struggles, we're going to face temptations. But John 17, 15, this is a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, God, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That you protect them from the evil one. And for all of us, we're going to be living in this world, but God is praying protection for us. I love that Jesus actually prays a prayer in this passage for all people who will believe in him in the future. So I don't know if you know this, but Jesus prayed over you. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And this is another thing that goes back to what Sherry talked about. This is where it can be helpful for us to remind ourselves and to be rooted and anchored in the truth of God and who he is. We are reminding ourselves that, that when we're tempted, God says he will provide a way out so we can endure it. 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. And John 16, 3 says that God has overcome the world. There is nothing that we're going to face that is too big for God. There is no darkness that is darker than God's light. All right, and we begin to remind ourselves of this truth as we pray boldly for, for spiritual prayers because I believe God wants to come to him with both physical and the spiritual needs. And I'm not going to touch on, um, in, the, in the Lord's Prayer, we also see talking about forgiveness. And I'm going to leave that for next week because Roger and Sherry want to talk about that. But I want to end today with sort of, um, we've kind of gone all over the place, but what are some, you might be thinking, what are some tangible things for me? If I want to pray boldly in my own life, what does that look like and how can I do that? And the first thing I would say is I think bold prayer sometimes starts with being persistent. 
It starts with being persistent, being willing to come to God again and again and again in our lives. Um, I don't know how many of you have prayed something and have not gotten an answer right away. I certainly have. And I think this is another thing in our culture where we've kind of bought into this lie that if I try once and something is hard or it doesn't work the first time, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to give up on it, right? And I, I think this is a, a mistake when it, when it comes to praying for God, for God to answer. I believe sometimes when we aren't willing to persist and wait on God, then we start to look for answers in other places that aren't God and lesser answers. And we, we, we give up on God and we start to look for answers in ways that ultimately are detrimental to our lives. God, we see, we see this even in the story of um, the Israelites waiting on Moses to come back with the Ten Commandments. And they got tired of waiting on God's answer. And what did they do? They set up an idol for themselves. And they said, we're going to listen to, we're going we're gonna to say this idol will save us. This golden calf will save us. Um, as a side note, they, they ended up, Moses came back and they had to like, he ground up the calf into powder and they had to drink it. And so that's one consequence, a weird consequence of, of disobeying God, putting something else in front of him. But the point here is that whenever we, whenever we refuse to wait on God, often we're, we're going to end up with, God's going to allow us to have our idol, right? He's going to say, trust in this thing, but it's not actually going to save you. And we're going to recognize that um, God wants us to be strong and take heart and wait on him and keep pushing there's, I don't know who said this, but maybe you've heard this idea, this acronym, PUSH, pray until something happens. Um, and I think that's a great idea. I think that, um, again, we pray recognizing that God's not always going to give us exactly what we're answering for, but as we continue to come to God and pray, he is going to change something, whether it's our hearts or whether it's our attitude or whether it is um, the circumstance itself. Keep drawing into God's heart. Keep coming closer to him. Um, he wants to move in us. And I think God gives us another example in Luke 18, 1 through 8. Of, this is the, the parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus tells the, the people this parable about how they should always pray and never give up, never lose heart, he says. He says, In a certain city there was a judge that neither feared God nor, respected, nor had respect for the people. But there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him, saying, Grant me justice against my accuser. And for a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she will not wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And so again, I think this is, this is another parable that reminds us that, um, that we need to keep going, keep, keep coming to God's heart, recognize that, um, that he hears us, he does see us, and he wants us to not give up. And I, I, we pray, we sing this song today. Um, you know, we, we come to God and we ask him for things, but the song we sang today reminded me that God's goodness is already running after us. And as we persistently pray to God, may we begin to recognize his goodness already around us. But one more thing I want to say is, uh, again, by this author, Mark Batterson, if you have not heard of, of him, he has a, a series called Prayers, uh, sorry, The Circle Maker, and he talks a lot about prayer in this book. Um, and what I love about this book is that he kind of teaches you how to pray persistently, and it's very tangible, and he actually says, like, we need to begin to praying circles, like keep looping around and around and around, circling the things that we, that we care about.
um, in, in his life, he actually, like, for, for one example, he prayed over this coffee shop and this, this property that his church wanted to buy, that they could see this vision to change the community around them. And God allowed them to buy this property in an amazing way. And now it's this Ebenezer's coffee shop, and there's so many cool things happening there. Um, but are there needs in your life? Are there spiritual or emotional needs that you're praying over yourself or your children or your spouse? At one point, because of this book, I actually started literally circling my house um, and praying for my kids and praying for my family. And I think God's calling me to do that again. But I found that I started like actually wearing a path in my yard around the house when I was praying. Who are you willing to wear out a path for in your life as you pray? Keep going. Keep praying because God is going to move. And there's also a children's book um, that I, I meant to bring as well, but if you want the information about that, I can give it to you. Um, and I went through that with my kids, and it really taught us as a family, um, we would keep writing down prayers as a family and keep going back through them. And it's interesting to look back now and see some of the answers to those prayers we prayed. And that can be a way for us to teach even our kids what prayer is and how that looks like in our life. So when you pray, and you don't get an answer, keep praying. Keep standing on who God is. Keep asking God to shift your prayers when they're not focused on his will or his kingdom. Come boldly before God. Um, again, I've, I've been so convicted, even, in, even during this series, of just how much more I need to come to God and ask him for things. For my church, for my neighbor, for my spouse, for my kids, even for the people that I don't want to like or that I don't really love in my heart, God says, pray for them and let me change you. God is moved by our prayers. Our prayers matter. He wants us to keep circling. Let's keep finding verses that declare who God is. Let's keep praying verses and praying promises and letting God show us more of, of his, his will for us. And find people to pray with you because I think that's another thing. Sometimes we give up because we pray on our own and we need accountability. We need people to pray with us. So seek, seek that. And I believe that when we seek God, we're going to find him. In closing, I want to end with just a prayer that I'm going to have us actually say together. And this is a prayer um, by William Barclay. And I think it's a, um, a bold prayer. And you may not be comfortable. Like Part of me thought the idea at first of praying um, a prayer that somebody else wrote. I thought that was a little weird. But I think God is showing me that sometimes it helps us to, to hear someone else's word and recognize that we're not alone. And someone else's words can give us strength and maybe even can help us when we're like, I don't know how to pray. And, and we can learn from other people who've gone before us. So I would encourage you, we're going to put this on the screen, and I'm just going to, we're going to pray this together in your own heart, in your own way, just bring this to God. Oh God, you are our refuge. When we are exhausted by life's efforts, when we are bewildered by life's problems, when we are wounded by life's sorrows, we come for refuge to you. Oh God, you are our strength when our tasks are beyond our powers, when our temptations are too strong for us, when duty calls for more than we have to give, we come for strength to you. And now, as we pray to you, help us to believe in your love so that we may be certain that you will hear our prayer. Help us to believe in your power so that we may be certain that you are able to do for us above all that we ask or think. Help us to believe in your wisdom so that we may be certain that you will answer, not as our ignorance asks, but as your perfect wisdom knows best. All this 
we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.